morning, Grace Valley. It's a, uh, it's a tremendous privilege uh, to be with you this morning. Forgive me as I just kind of rearrange things up here. Um, I was very excited when Paul reached out a couple of months ago uh, and invited me to be here. Uh, excited and a little bit surprised, uh, mostly because Paul's never even heard me preach before. Um, this past week, when we were at a workshop uh, with a bunch of other pastors, he, he encountered my preaching for the first time, and he seemed somewhat nervous. Uh, he broke out, but it was past that point of no return, so, um, so here I am, and it's, it's good to be with you. We're, uh, we're seriously, we're grateful as blessings. We're grateful by what God is doing here uh, in this place. Uh, the way he's bringing people together, it's special. It's something that doesn't happen everywhere. And we pray that God continues to encourage you and, and to grow you and to bless the work that's being done here. So let's maybe bow our heads in a, in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the passage for today. Gracious God, we thank you so much uh, for this morning. We thank you for the chance to be here, uh, to open up your word, uh, to hear what you have to say to our, our lives. Lord, I pray especially for a blessing uh, upon the message this morning. I pray that uh, it might be your words that are spoken, not my words. Uh, your message, not mine. And especially, Lord, as I don't know the specific uh, needs of the church family here, I don't uh, know all the individuals here, I pray that your spirit might guide and, and apply the words in, in a meaningful and in a powerful way uh, that changes us to, to rely more and more on your son, Jesus Christ, and to live lives that, that look more and more like his. So we pray for your leading this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So back at my home church uh, in Blessings, we've been working through the book of Joshua. We've just wrapped up a sermon series, actually, on the book of, of Joshua. And I always feel a little bit bad because I, I'm kind of just plunking you right into the book of Joshua without any real context. So I want to just offer um, a couple of words for those who might not be familiar with the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is basically a book that describes a, a period of time where the Israelites, the, the people of God, where they enter in and where they, they take possession of a land that God has, has promised them. It's a story kind of about their conquest, and, and a prominent figure in the book is Joshua, hence the name uh, Joshua. Today, I, I want to focus just on, on the last chapter, on, on chapter 24, and it's a, it's a really powerful chapter. It's kind of got this, this intimate scene of, of an old man, an old leader, kind of, kind of having some last words with his people. It's kind of a special moment where they, where they come together. And I want to say just a couple of words about the context before we get into the passage, because I think it'll help you understand what's going on. Uh, two things I want to mention. One, one is I want to make a comment about the place that they're meeting. You're told in, in verse 1 that they're meeting at a place called Shechem, and, that, and that's actually significant. It's significant because for the people of Israel, this is, this is the kind of place where their story in many ways started. Right? This is kind of where the seed was, was planted. This is where things began. This was a place, if you, if you were to flip back in your Bibles all the way to Genesis 12, right at the very beginning, almost of the Bible, this is, this is a place where God appears to Abram. And I'll just share a couple of, of verses from there. Genesis 12, verse 6. You read that Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And we're going to come back to that 
Uh, This tree, it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament. It's kind of like a landmark. Um, It's it's this identifier, whatever. It's it's mentioned several times because people knew when you talked about the tree, they understood the place and they traced it back uh, to to this moment with Abram. But that passage goes on and it says at that time the Canaanites were in the land and yet the Lord appeared and he said, to your offspring I will give this land. So so you have to imagine that this is 600 years earlier, give or take. It's 600 years earlier, God appears and he says, I'm going to give you this place. But today in our passage, it's like the, the, the story has kind of come full circle. Right? Those promises, these people are experiencing the reality. The other thing I want to mention is that you have to understand that here in chapter 24, Joshua... Um, he knows that his life is, is coming to an end. He, he's an old man, we're told, and he specifically, he, he calls the people together one last time. He knows that from here on out, he's been their leader for 50 years. From here on out, they're, they're going without him. So what do you say at a moment like that? And what would you say if, if you kind of had one last chance to pull the people together that you love and that you care about, well, for Joshua, he wants to confront them with, with life's most important question, the most significant question that these people will ever face, and I think the most significant question that, that we all face, and that is the question, who will you serve? Not just this day, but going forward, who will you serve? And so I pray as we get into the message today, I pray that, that that's the question that's also on your hearts, that's on your minds, that's the question that, that you're reflecting on today. Three things I want to look at in this passage as we work through it, let me just list them for you. Some of you are real note takers, right? You guys are like, I need one, two, and three. So here we go. Um, three things that I think we, we learn about the service of God. The first is, if we want to serve the Lord, we must trust His plan. That's where we're going to start. If we, if we want to serve the Lord, we must trust his plan. Secondly, if we want to serve the Lord, we must answer his call. We must, an- we must answer his call. And then we're going to wrap up with if we, must, if we want to serve the Lord, then we must understand also the seriousness of that commitment. And so we're going to get into the message. It is, it is a, I would say it's a forceful message. It's, it's convicting. It's powerful. But I also think it's, it's beautiful. And there's a lot of the gospel in this passage. So I want to start with this question. If we want to serve the Lord, we must trust God's plan. That's where this passage starts. And the verses 2 through 13, they really focus on on giving us every reason why we can trust God's plan. Now, there's obviously a ton of content in here. I'm not going to go through each and every detail. But but God kind of starts in verse 2, and we're told that God is speaking specifically through Joshua. And so he begins with this word. He says, long ago. Okay, so God begins and he says, let's set this up big picture. Let's provide some perspective on this. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Naor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. So God's beginning. God's beginning, and he's basically saying, let's, let's remember something. Let's remember that before you are my people... You are no different than anyone else. 
Before you were my people, God says, you, you, you didn't serve me, you didn't, you didn't worship me. God's like, you didn't, you didn't love me. But, right, but, verse 3, I took your father Abram from the land beyond the Euphrates and I, and I brought him to this place. God is basically saying, let's start out with this. There's nothing particularly special about you. It didn't, it didn't start with you, it started with me. God is saying it didn't start with, with you seeking me, it, it, it started with me seeking you. This whole plan, and this is true of the Bible, this, this whole plan of God redeeming and choosing a people and saving them, it didn't start with their love for God, it started with, with God's love for them. And I think for us today, we need to realize that and dwell on that as well. You know, just, just because we're here on Sunday morning, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing particularly special about us, right? Romans 5 verse 8 is that passage which says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Abraham was nothing special without the grace of God. And Moses was nothing special. Joshua, nothing special without the grace of God. And and you and I this morning, there's nothing special about us without the grace of God. We are what we are by the grace of God. But we also, and as this passage continues, we, we discover that we become what we become only because of the faithfulness of God. And, and, and this is the message of verses 3 through 13. I just want to touch on a couple things as we go through it. It's all about the faithfulness of God. God says, I was faithful to Abram, I gave him Isaac, I gave him Jacob. I was faithful when they went down to Egypt, verse 4, I was, I was faithful, I sent them Moses and Aaron, faithful at the Red Sea, verse 7, faithful at the wilderness, you kind of pick up on the theme, right? Faithful against the Amorites, God says, I was faithful when, when Balaam, this, uh, I don't know how to describe him, kind of a sorcerer, he was kind of like, oh, a witch, he, he he was this guy that was hired to come out and curse the people, and God turned those curses so he couldn't help but give blessings. God says, I was faithful there. I was faithful at the Jordan, faithful at the Jericho, faithful as you took the land. And God wraps up in verse 13, and he says, because I was faithful, you now get to live in a land that you didn't work for, and you get to dwell in cities that you didn't build. In 11 verses, these 11 verses, God walks the people through about 600 years of their history. 600 years of saying, I was faithful time and again. It's as if God is opening up this book and saying, guys, here's the plan. Try me, test me, look back. Right? God's saying, look back, show me where I have not been God to you. Show me where I have failed to do what I said I would do. And it, it's like what God is saying to us, show me where I have fallen short. Now maybe you wonder why, why in this moment, this, this last gathering, why does God go back to this? Well, because the people then are not that much different than we are now. And, and, and so often they were tempted to forget that it was God's plan. And, and so often, they actually thought it was their plan. And so often, they wanted 
credit for the plan. A few years ago, uh, a friend of mine was building a shed in his backyard. He was building one of these, these backyard sheds, and because he was uh, really, really, really desperate for help, um, he called me. Um, you guys are laughing, but I was trying to lay laminate floor yesterday. I almost cut off both my hands. Um, true story. Um, so he, he was building this, this backyard shed, and, and it was one of these sheds that, um, that came on a pallet. You, you know, like they, they deliver it to the house, and there are like a million pieces, and somehow they're all supposed to fit together. You get like a small book of instructions. Now, theoretically, theoretically, this should be a rather straightforward affair. But I can assure you that, that building said shed is actually a rather, uh, rather frustrating affair. And, and I think that's because when we look at everything that's there, we see all these, these, these weird pieces that we're like, I have no idea where that thing's going to fit. And, and then as we're kind of going through the steps, we have these moments where we're like, like this has got to be wrong. Like, this step shouldn't happen, and this should be here. And so as we're working through, we're kind, of, we're kind of muttering and complaining about the stupid design and kind of the silly, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, what are they? But when we actually kind of pack our pride aside and, and when we go back and start going step by step, lo and behold, you have a shed. But you know what we often end up doing? At least I'll just speak for myself. You know what we do? We get on the phone, and we call all our friends, and we host a big backyard barbecue, and when they're all there and they're all ascended, we're like, hey, check out what I built. Look what I assembled for you. As, as, as if this was actually our design, when realistically, if we actually slow it down and think about it, all we did was use what we were given and follow the plan. You know, this is a picture of what our Christian life often looks like. I think it's a picture of sometimes how we get the gospel backwards. So often we're coming before God and we're saying, God, look at what I've done. And the reason God has to come back to this time and again is because he wants to reorient us and say, no, no, no. You need to remember about what I've done. God's saying, I've given you everything you could possibly want in Jesus Christ. But I want you to trust the plan. You know, the temptation for all of us, you know, I don't think I'm any different than you, the temptation for us is, is to make life about our plan. And so often life is about our circumstances. And I, and I don't want to diminish those. I don't want to diminish that because I'm sure there are, there are people here this morning that are in incredibly difficult life circumstances. And when the finances are, are, are tight, when we face things like that, it's difficult to trust God's plan. But you need to realize that another thing that's difficult is to truly give God the credit when there's lots of finances, when the money is pouring in. Then it's very difficult not to say, oh, well, this is actually, 
because of my plan. God wants to cultivate in us a heart, a heart that truly trusts God's plan. Second thing is that God wants us to answer the call. It's really the, the, the point of verse 14 and 15, some of the more well-known verses in Scripture. Verse 14 and 15, you basically had God say, this is who I am. God says, this is what I've done for you. And then Joshua responds immediately with these words, and he says, now fear the Lord. Right? Fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Joshua's like, this is your God, this is what he's done and I kind of love the picture because it's, it's this man that we know is now an old man and he's just pleading for the hearts of his people. He's got one last chance to have a conversation with them and he is just laying on the line the thing that's important. He's saying, serve the Lord. But he's also saying, serve him only. Right, Joshua is, is very clear about the fact that the worship of God is going to be exclusive. He says, serve the Lord, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. I mean, notice the urgency the urgency in Joshua's voice. The language says, choose for yourself this day. Joshua's saying, we are together one last time. This is the moment. Right? We're not, this, this is not the type of thing we're going to come back and revisit this conversation in three weeks. This is not like, well, we're going to have a great conversation. I'm going to lay out some points for you. We're going to discuss God's plan. And then I'll give you some time to think, Joshua, Choose this day. And I want to say to you this morning that the urgency that's required here is no different today. That there are too many people wandering in and out of churches thinking that this is a decision that they're going to come back and revisit at some point in time in the future. We need to understand that God doesn't guarantee us the future. God doesn't guarantee us tomorrow. God is saying, this is who I am. This is what I've done for you. And God is just calling for our hearts. Joshua says, this is who he is. And then you have these well-known words in Scripture. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You know, aren't those the words that we pray are the legacy that we leave behind? They're such incredibly powerful words. They're the, kinds that, they're the kind of thing that, that, that we pray would be the statement that defines our life. And I think what makes these particular words such an incredibly powerful testimony are the fact that they're spoken by a man who has really experienced the highs and the lows of life. Now, Joshua was a guy who'd been down the road. Joshua had walked a mile. And yet these were the words that he'd been able to say, 
maybe you don't know this, but Joshua's life started as a slave in Egypt. That's where life began for him. Pretty hard life, pretty far removed from the promises of God, from God's promise of a land that he was going to obtain for him. And Joshua's thinking, yeah, right, I'm, I'm here, I'm a slave in Egypt. And yet he'd seen God do amazing things. He'd seen God part the Red Sea. He'd, he'd experienced times of incredible loyalty from God. He'd also wandered in the desert for 40 years. You ever think about that? 40 years of wandering in the desert. And yet at the end of his life, these are the words that he says. They're beautiful, beautiful testimony. And when we look at it, you know, we say, well, that's, a, that's an incredible testimony of faithfulness from Joshua. And I love that about the book of Joshua. It points out a lot about the faithfulness. Incredibly godly man, a godly leader. But Joshua also talks about a lot of the failures of Joshua. Joshua didn't always walk with the Lord. Joshua wasn't always the guy who waited on the Lord. There were times where he's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to take care of this. And we'll talk to the Lord about it later. And so Joshua, in this book, he's just, he's pointing us forward to Christ. Joshua's pointing us forward to the, kind of the, to the need that the people had for a greater leader. Christ is, Christ is the leader that is faithful in every circumstance. Every single aspect of his life, he's faithful. Hanging on the cross, he's faithful. And it's not like Satan didn't try to tempt him to worship other gods. Right? Satan would try to lead him astray, and, and, and Jesus would respond, and he would say, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus Christ had one desire, and that was to do the will of his Father, to serve the Lord. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Faithful for failures. Faithful for failures like Joshua. Failures like you, failures like me, certainly. But Jesus also calls us to follow his example. Now, I don't want to sound all morbid this morning. Well, that's never a great way to lead into a question. Um, but if this, was, if this was your last day, what is the testimony that you would leave behind? Would it be the testimony of someone who answered the call? You know, parents, let me ask you would, you, would you have the kind of home that your kids would say, yeah, they grew up in a household, not just where people went to church on Sunday, but a household where people served the Lord, where the name of Jesus was lifted high and exalted. And men and women, you know, let me ask you, would you leave behind the testimony of someone that they say just strived? to be faithful in all circumstances. 
Or maybe I can ask you employers. There's probably employers here. What's the testimony that you would leave for your employee? And young men, young women, what's the testimony you'd leave for the next generation? Would it be the the testimony of someone who lived without compromise? Would people say, hey, I don't know them well, but there went a young man, there went a young woman that played sports without compromise. There was a young woman, there was a young man that partied without compromise. Would they say that there was someone that answered the call? And the amazing thing about serving the Lord is that God, by his grace, through his spirit, God cultivates in hearts a Christ-like character. Someone who is a failure but still strives to be faithful and places their allegiance in Christ, God, by his spirit, begins to change and begins to transform so that more and more what you discover is people will actually follow you, not because of you, but because they see Christ in you. We must answer the call. Let me close with this this morning. If we want to serve God, we must also understand the seriousness of the commitment. These people have this beautiful, beautiful response. And and it's my prayer that that would be the response of, of this church family here. They say in verse 16, they say, far be it from us. That's great, isn't it? It's like, Joshua, are you crazy? Far be it from us. We are going to serve the Lord. They give exactly the response that Joshua wants. Joshua says, this is God. This is who he is. This is what he's done. They're like, absolutely, we're in. And Joshua Joshua says, you're not able. It's kind of a mood killer, isn't it? talk Talk about sucking the life out of the building. Everybody's excited. Here we go. Here we go. Let's serve the Lord. You can. And Joshua, he's not trying to discourage the people. He's not trying to beat them up, but he's simply saying, please understand what you're committing to. Please understand the seriousness of what's going on. He says, he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Joshua is saying, please, please, please answer the call, but at the same time, realize the seriousness of who you serve. You serve a holy God. You serve a God who is jealous. But I love that. I love thinking about the fact that God is looking down on us this morning, and he is passionate for our hearts jealous for our hearts. But the people are insistent. The people say, no, 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 we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua says, okay, then I want to point out two things to you. Two things. The one is that you are witnesses against yourselves. You find that language. You are witnesses against yourselves. These people are not expecting to be perfect. Okay, don't imagine that. Don't imagine that they think, oh, we can perfectly serve the Lord. But what they want to do is they want to place their faith in the God who is faithful. The same way that we want to place our faith in Jesus Christ, 
who is faithful. So he says, your witnesses against yourself, there should be an incredible sense of accountability among the people of God. And I, and I really mean this for your church family this morning. I really pray that there's an incredible sense of accountability here among yourselves. If there's a brother or sister in Christ here that is wandering, it's not someone else's job to bring them back. It's your job. If you're working, okay, if you're working with other Christians, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's things being talked about and, and jokes being told and things being said that do not line up with what it means to be a Christian, it's not someone else's job to call that out. It's your job. If you're playing sports, if you're out at parties with other Christians where there are things happening that aren't Christian, that responsibility falls. You're witnesses against yourselves. Why? Because the holiness of God is involved. Because the whole, God's honor is at stake. And we need to hold each other accountable because we, we want to see the holiness of God lifted up. So that's one, but the second thing is this. Joshua says, then you must throw away the foreign gods that are among you. That's a, that's a hard thing to throw down in his last words with these people. Before you go, remember, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. I want to ask you this morning, what are your foreign gods? What are the foreign gods that live among you? And maybe a way to answer that question would be, would be to say this. If Christ were to come to your house this week, what would be the things that you might be ashamed that he would find? What would be the books that you would not want him to read? What are the movies that you would not want him to watch? Let me ask you this. If Christ were to scroll through your last week's computer history, how'd that make you feel? Could Christ come to your parties? Could he, could he vacation with you? If you're uncomfortable with any of these previous things, you know, then perhaps those are the places where there are some foreign gods living among you. And we don't bring that up for guilt. But especially for us today, we bring that up because we believe that Christ died to make us holy and blameless in the sight of God. Christ died to wash us white as snow to present us holy. And Hebrew says, do not tread the blood of Christ underfoot. The holiness of God is involved. Well, these people, like I say, they have the response that I pray your church family would have, I pray that my church family would have, and that is that, no, we want to serve the Lord. It's the one thing we want from life. And so Joshua finishes with this beautiful ceremony. It's called a, a kind of a renewal of the covenant. 
And basically what that means is that the promises of God are restated and, and they're reminded of God's grace and of God's faithfulness and of God's love and of God's mercy towards them. And the book of the law is read and we're told that, this, that Joshua takes a great stone and he kind of rolls it up underneath this tree. And he says, these, these things, they're going to stand as a witness for you. And as you leave this place and as you go forward with your life, if you ever need to be reminded of God's grace and of God's faithfulness and of God's mercy and of God's love, then, then you can go back in your minds and go back in your minds to this place. And you can think of this rock and you can think of this tree and you can just praise God for what he's done. But I want to say to you this morning as we close, I want to say, that that same option is available to you. And if you want to remember God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and God's faithfulness towards you, then you also can go back in your minds to this picture of a rock and a tree. Not, not the tree outside of Shechem, but the tree outside of Jerusalem where Christ hung on the cross to forgive your sin. And you can go back in your mind to that great stone that was rolled away to reveal an empty tomb and to remember that Christ has risen to conquer death and the devil and sin. And we together, we can celebrate and praise God for what he's done. Let's pray together.